Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and your co-host, Clinton Hendry. Session number nine. doing well today's episode is a bit different and then i have with me acting as co-host clinton hendry and together we interview jennifer haynes she's the owner of the dragon in guelph ontario and this is the first time i've had a co-host on the show we step on each other's toes a bit but that's to be expected clinton is calling in all the way from beijing china where he's been teaching for several years and so there's a bit of a time lag due to the distance for our first time, I think we did pretty well, and I must say having a co-host can be nice. Clinton brings a different perspective and approach to finding out what makes the Dragon a fantastic store, and I really enjoyed having him on the show. Expect to hear him more often in future episodes, and also, if you are ever in the Guelph area, drop in to visit the Dragon and tell him the Maniverse podcast sent you. With that, let's jump into the episode. Okay. Uh, so my name is Jen Haynes, and I own the Dragon in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, we opened the Dragon in 1998. Uh, I was fresh out of university and believed I could do anything, and that's probably why I chose to open a comic and game store at that time. And now looking back and thinking about it, I think I was probably crazy. <laughs> but, you know, you have to be kind of young and foolish to uh, to go down the retail path, especially into, like, the comic and games retail, because it's, you know, not exactly the most uh, sure thing business, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been in business for 16 years, as I said. We've moved around a few times. Right now we're located in Old Quebec Street, uh, which is a mall in downtown Guelph. Um, it's kind of like a boutique-style mall, which is uh, it's a pretty cool location. We like it a lot. It's connected to the the hockey arena in Guelph, so we get a lot of walk-by traffic that goes to the hockey games, which is really nice for us. And then we also have a great relationship with the mall, so we can run large events like in the middle of the mall. So down the concourse of the mall, we can run you know big magic tournaments and things like that, big war machine Ooh. tournaments. So that's really good. Um, we like that a lot because it allows us to actually expand our play space. We can put tables out front of the store as well. So we're not confined to the walls of the store. We're not confined to our square footage, which is really fantastic. Um, yeah, in uh, in uh, 2012, we won the Will Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailing Award, which recognizes the best comic stores in the world. Uh, and it's we're now one of only about 30 stores in the world who have received that award. Um and so, yeah, that's kind of like, uh, that was kind of like my, my crowning achievement, if you will, because uh, it it's a pretty big deal. The Eisners are like the Oscars of comics. So Impressive. It's like, yeah, yeah. So, Excellent. Yeah. So how did you get uh, nominated for that? Or did you, what, what's the application process or something like that? 
Well, you have to be nominated. So okay. somebody basically has to write in and say, like, this store is really great. Here's a whole bunch of reasons why they're they're great. There's certain areas they look at. They look at um, your customer service. They look at the innovative ways that you display product and bring product to the community. They look at uh, community service. Um, and they also look at uh, your product knowledge and how you display your product knowledge. Uh, so once that nomination went through, we were... Uh, they requested a submission package. And the submission package basically includes any pieces of information that uh, actually prove that we have, you know, product knowledge, this high customer service, community service. So anything that we've done, we would send in pictures, um, whatever we had, whatever documentation we had to show that we, you know, were doing these various activities. So flyers for events and, uh, you know, community service thank yous and things like that. Uh, we also had to do a five minute video that showcased the store and what it looked like. And so once those things were done, we sent them in and then the judges sit down during the first day of San Diego Comic-Con and look through all of the submission packages and make a decision at that time. So, and I got to judge the next year, which was really cool. So I actually got to see like how the submission process worked from the other side and then apologized to everyone for my binder being really large. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, it was a really big honor and, uh, it was definitely, uh, definitely cool to have that happen and to just even go through the process of, of putting together the binder and the video. Yeah. So, I imagine yeah. the recognition was really nice. Yes, the recognition has been fantastic. So it's actually like, it's interesting because now, you know, we have things like my, at one point, my Games Workshop rep said to me that he didn't know how big a deal that Eisner was until he was talking to one of his other accounts and they knew who I was. And that was, that was really cool because to hear like that, you know, there's name recognition beyond the city of Guelph and beyond even, you know, Toronto and, and beyond the like the stores that I know and am in touch with was really was really great to hear that. Mm -hmm. So was it one of your Fantastic. customers that nominated? Yes, yeah, it was. Did you high five them afterwards? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we made sure that they felt they felt uh, justly compensated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was very nice of them, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Very, very big honor. And it's, it's really nice to get that recognition. I mean, this, this Christmas season actually has been, there's been a lot of that. I mean, this is a tough industry as I'm sure, you know, like mm -hmm. the people more often than not, you just hear the negatives from people. You hear the complaints, you know, people post negative comments on Facebook or they, or they complain on the internet where they think you can't find out that they're complaining. Um, but most often you hear the complaints, but this Christmas season, for whatever reason, I had a number of people, uh, you know, six or seven people come up to me and stop me and talk to me about how much they appreciated the store and how much of a positive impact it was having on their lives. And it was really amazing. It was so wonderful to like actually get that, you know, verbal validation, just to have the customers say, uh, you know, what we, strive to do the, the fact that what we strive to do is actually getting across to them and they appreciate it and they enjoy it. And yeah, it's, it's really great. So, you know, that submission that that customer made was part, was one of those moments of validation, but it's been, it was really, really nice this last like month or so to have that many people approach me and talk about how great the store is. So hmm. yeah. yeah, that's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's for a change. Yeah. 
has anything changed? Do you think that, uh, did you do anything differently in the last month that made everyone really appreciate it? Um, well, in the last month specifically, we did open a secondary pop-up location. So it was just for the Christmas holidays, but we moved all of our t-shirts and toys down to that location. And so it allowed us to showcase the product better. Um, and it allowed us to expand our games section, which was something that needed to happen for a long time. So we were able to make a more dedicated space for attack wing, uh, for X-Wing, for uh, like dice tubes, um, sleeves. Uh, play mats, binders. I brought in like a ton of supplies that I hadn't carried before. Um, and we made like a whole section for Pokemon. We expanded the magic, like just everything. We just changed everything about how we displayed all that stuff. Uh, now that the pop-up store is closing, I have to try to reintegrate the product from the pop-up store without messing too much with what I already established because I really love having more room for the product. So we are going to be expanding in March. Um, we're adding another 500 square feet, which is great. But mm-hmm. until March, everything's going to be pretty snug and cozy in the Dragon <laughs> as I try to fit all the product into the space that we have. Um, but I think, you know, that definitely had an impact. But also, to a certain extent, it was me just being around because I'm not around a lot at the store. I have two kids and I... Uh, I mostly have been working from home, especially in the last year, because um, my younger is, is nine months old. So it's I haven't been around that much. And in previous years, I actually wasn't even living in Guelph for like 10 years of my owning of the business. I was living in Toronto and teaching. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm not, I haven't been as visible in the store as I am right now. And I think that that was part of it was customers access to me so that they know like you know, they're super comfortable talking to my staff and talking to Amy and whatnot, but they know that I do, I am the person behind all the decisions. I am the one, you know, deciding what goes where and all that. And so they could come to me and actually say, you know, your staff are amazing. The store is amazing, that sort of thing. So it was that access to me that allowed them to be able to, that allowed them to compliment the store in this way. Um, So, yeah, I think that's, that was probably a, a big part of it. Um, that was probably the change that caused them to to uh, really speak up. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. Hmm. So why do you think? Uh, well, you're more hands off, right? Yes. Was it always that way, or is this uh, development in the last couple of years? No, it's actually I'm actually more hands on in the last couple of years than I was before that. So the basic storyline of the dragon was uh, the first couple of years I was obviously there all the time, working full-time in the store, as you have to do. Um, After, I think after year three, I went, I decided I was going to do my master's. And my idea when I had opened the store was that I I always intended to go back to school, but I wasn't ready to go back to school at that point. So I decided to open the store until I was ready to go back to the school, back to school. After about three years, I decided I was ready to go um, and decided to do it like concurrently with owning the store. Um, so I had, so Amy, who's my manager, she was already working for me. So she became, uh, the manager at that point to really sort of take care of the day-to-day operations of the store. Um, and then I started going to, I started commuting to Toronto to do my master's. Uh, the second year of my master's, I moved to Toronto, finished my master's. And then I took on a part-time teaching job, uh, and which then turned into going to teacher's college and then teaching full time 
for another like four years after that. So I ended up being in Toronto for 10 years, uh, doing my master's, going teaching and then going to teacher's college all while owning the store. So you can imagine <laughs> it was very hands very on busy. for a very long time. Uh, and then I moved back to Guelph. Uh, I guess that would have been three years ago. I moved back to Guelph. Yeah. About three years ago, I moved back to Guelph and sort of, and became much more involved in the store. Uh, although I also had children at the same time. So I moved back to Guelph right before we had our first child. And then, uh, so I was busy with her. So I was on sort of mat leave. So I was sort of still part-time owner. Uh, and then, but then the next year I was really, I've been for a couple of years there, I was super hands-on. And then I've been, I had taken a step back in the last few months, but now, now I'm back at, uh, the super hands-on part of it. So yeah, it's oh, I've more often been not there than I have been there. So, yeah, it's very different. I know, like, the mm-hmm. model is usually for comic and game stores, the model is that the owner is always there. Like, never goes home. You go in and the owner is constantly there. And there's actually a couple of store owners that I've, you know, become friends with over the years who that was their model, but once they saw that I could I could do it I could like step away and like leave the business they changed how they did things and they were able to you know have a life outside of the store which I think is really important for sure yeah definitely although you do have to have a certain level of success to even be able to step away right most of the time Absolutely. the owner is involved by necessity yes and you have to have the staff that are able to handle the responsibilities you have to basically have a clone who can mm-hmm. be there who will do things the way that like Amy does things the way she knows I would do things. And I know when I leave Amy to do something that she's going to get the task done and she's going to get it done up to my standards. And that's really hard. Like that is a fluke that I found her and that, you know, she's able to run the store. It's just, it was fantastic. It was a fantastic discovery to get her as a staff member. And, uh, I've been really, really lucky, um, in the many, many years since then, uh, I've only had a couple of staff members who I would even consider putting in the same position that I've put in, put Amy into. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a huge responsibility and, uh, I've been really fortunate to have her. So yeah. Yeah. Sounds was like it, a big yeah. asset. Was it the dragon that brought you back to Guelph or did you just, uh, did you just think it was time to come home? It was, it was the store for sure. I realized that my life was getting pretty complicated with the store. The store was getting really big, like three, about three years ago. Um, things just boomed in the business. Partially it had to do with us moving locations within, within the mall. We got into a, uh, space that was, it, it was laid out in a way that was more accessible to walk by traffic. So people were more more interested and more comfortable coming into the store. Whereas before it was like a long corridor. And once you get into the store, I think people developed a sense of like feeling like they couldn't get out fast enough if they had to, you know what I mean? Like when people come into a comic store or game store or any new store they've never been in, they kind of want to make sure that they can, they could leave it at any moment. Mm -hmm. When you have a long corridor, they're not as willing to go all the way into the store. They're not, it makes them uncomfortable. Now we have a wide space as opposed to a long space. So it's like all windows along the front. So people, wherever they are in the store, always feel like they're a short walk away from the door so that they can get out at any time. I know this sounds really like strange, but, <laughs> 
But it's it's actually part of like shopping psychology. Your desire to know where the exit is and your desire to be able to get out of that shopping experience um, is something that makes people more at ease with going into a store and being in a store. So, uh, you know, having that new space was definitely a factor, I think, that that increased sales. But also just around that time, DC launched New 52. And it was a huge boom for us in sales, like massive, massive boom. We had tons of people coming from nowhere who had like, we just, our subscription customers exploded. It was also the very beginning of a new school year. So that also brought a whole bunch of new people as well. So for whatever reason, three years ago, the business, well, for, for various reasons, including those, the business boomed. Uh, and I really needed to be there on a more hands-on day-to-day basis. Uh, we recognized too that if I was in the city of Guelph, it would definitely solve, uh, you know, various problems. The business has gotten more complicated over the years as sales have have risen, and I've had I've taken on more staff, um, as I've taken on more product lines. You know, definitely things. It, it just needed me more. The business needed me more. Uh, and you know, Guelph is a great city and I love it here. So I, it wasn't a problem to move back to Guelph on that front, but it definitely was the dragon that brought me back and my desire to continue the growth and the successes of the business by being able to be more hands-on and more, and to fine tune things more so that the business would continue to grow and expand. That's a good reason. Speaking of, yeah. oh. <laughs> uh, j- just, uh, speaking of, um, you were talking about the new 52 and you were talking about your product lines. You, uh, uh, what do you think you're, uh, you're best known for at the dragon? Uh, well, we are primarily a comic store. Definitely. Uh, we do, you know, over, um, I think it's like 60, I think 60% of our sales is about the number that is all that is comics in the store. Uh, and then 40% is games and then, well, it's probably 30% games and 10% other merchandise like t-shirts and toys and things like that. Um, so we are most known for being a comic store. Uh, we're well known as being a family store. So where families can come in, they can get board games, they can, the kids can get comics, uh, and then parents can also get comics. Uh, we are really well known as as being a place, a destination place for families. So the mall that we're in is actually also a medical uh, building. So the top floor is all doctors' offices. So we have a lot of people that come down for doctors' appointments and like kids who like part of their trip to the doctor is coming to the Dragon to get comics, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely I would say what we're known for. Um, yeah, and then we're also I mean we are the only store in town. So. People know that if they want to go somewhere and play magic or board games or War Machine, then then we're the place to go. And it's it's very luxurious to be the only store in town. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned that you're the only store in town. Do you do you feel like uh, are you do you feel like you're in competition with any of the uh, stores in the uh, the surrounding cities, or do you have uh, somewhat of a mon- monopoly? No, I definitely, there's definitely a a couple of stores that um, I do feel like I'm in a little bit of competition with. It's, you know, it's a tough situation because in this industry, we don't necessarily treat ourselves all that well. There's a real tendency in the comic and games industry to 
to like cut prices uh, because of like love of the customer, not love of the mm-hmm. customer, but because the customer wants it, you know, like the customer wants these cut prices because you're coming from a gaming pers- gaming background yourself. So you wanted lower prices. So you cut the prices and then we end up cutting into margin too much and it becomes an unsustainable actual business, right? Like the business has to be a business before it's a hobby, right? Um, otherwise you, you're not going to have any success and why open a business if you're not going to be able to have a sustain you. Um, otherwise yeah, you're just otherwise working it's like, just a you know, a club. yeah, otherwise you're just working a hundred hours a week for no reason. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you have other stores who will undercut, they'll put their prices down really low. And yes, people will technically drive to those places and they'll get their product there because they can get a cheaper price and that's fine. And that's their choice to do that. My goal has always been to never dwell on what other people are doing and try to match them or, or undercut myself so that I can compete with them, but rather to just keep doing what I'm doing and do it as, as well as I can do it and provide an excellent space and excellent products and service for all my customers, because that in the long run is what is going to keep me in business. Because no matter what happens, people are going to appreciate that. And the people who appreciate that are the ones who are going to stay with me. So like the person who wants to get their, you know, their board game $5 cheaper and is willing to drive to Kitchener for it, they're not my customer really anyways. You know Mm. what I mean? So, so yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, the, the comic industry too is, is terrible at this. You know, we constantly, most comic stores do discounts on their products that really just implies it really just sends this message to people that the product isn't worth what it's worth. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why go less than the MSRP on, on magic cards or less than the MSRP on a board game? Like that's what the product is worth. When we start going lower than that, we start saying to people, well, I don't actually think that this product is worth as much. You know, I, I actually think the product is, is, has less value, you know, and that, you know, looking at it that way, we're kind of saying that we're kind of like apologizing to our customers that the price, that the prices are as high as they are, but we shouldn't apologize. The product is amazing. You know, celebrate the product. If you're carrying the product, you love the product, right? So celebrate the product. It's, it is amazing. We shouldn't have to discount it in order to sell it. Yeah, for sure. And part of the value of something is the price. Yeah. To an extent, right? Some there's psychology in that, that a high price tends to look like, Oh, this is a big price tag on this. It must be good. Yeah. When you lower the you know, price, we, it, make, it cheapens the idea yeah. of it. Yeah. We, we do work really hard to make sure that our margins are as, like, our prices are as low as we can make them while still being able to maintain the store that we have. And part of maintaining that store is, you know, being able to staff it effectively and being able to, you know, pay all the bills, obviously, and be able to bring in new products <coughs> and to update shelving and that sort of thing. So, you know, we really do look closely at the prices and keep them absolutely as low as we can while still being able to provide excellent service. Can we yeah. talk about the, uh, <laughs> the, the fact that you're in a mall? Yes. That's a little unusual for most game and comic stores, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot absolutely. of that. Was that part of your strategy before or did you find a space in the mall? <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, and like, oh, I've got to jump in on this. Yeah, it's, um, I, it was never my strategy to go into a mall. Uh, I started out on the street. I was on the street for uh, 11 years before I went into the mall. 
Um, basically, when I started looking for a new space, I happened to go into this mall, and it, it's it's a very small mall. It's like one corridor. It only has about ten shops in it. Um, you know, it's not there's not a ton, you know, necessarily going on in it. It's not like a huge high traffic mall. Um, so it's as a result, not that expensive comparatively, which is great. <laughs> so mm-hmm. basically I could, where I was at the time, my landlord was getting ready to hike my rent like by 20%. Wow. And wow. I went into this mall and they were willing to offer me this space for, hardly any more than what I was paying on the street. And the space was twice as large. Nice. And so I was like, oh. well, that just seals that deal. <laughs> so it was really, it wasn't really like a moving into the mall will help my business. It was more a case of this is the right space for me right now. I need more space and I need the price to be at a certain level in order for me to not end up drowning in overhead. So this is the space, like this is perfect. So I moved in and it's been great. I mean, it's the mall renovates the spaces for us. Um, so we didn't have to do any of the setup, like everything, including painting and flooring and all of that. They just, it's part of the deal. Um, so we, you know, when we moved into our new space, which we moved across the hall, we actually requested hardwood floor instead of carpet because we just, I'm just done with carpet. It's the biggest mm-hmm. pain to maintain. <laughs> it's the worst. So they put down <laughs> they put down hardwood laminate for us and it's, it's gorgeous and we love it. Um, and they even helped us move the stock from one store to the other. And they helped us like set up shelving and hang our slot wall and stuff. It was unbelievable. Plus there's, there's security that can actually like look at tapes and catch shoplifters for us. Like it's, it's pretty fantastic. I got to tell you, there's like a cleaning staff who comes around and cleans the windows. (laughs) So I I have to say, I like them all a lot. I'm not sure how much I would like being in a larger mall because it's like ridiculously expensive. I've looked into Stone Road Mall, which is the mall, like mm-hmm. the big mall in Gulf, and it's prohibitively expensive. Like there's just no way you can be in there if you're not a national chain. Um, and they don't think they necessarily want people in there who aren't national chains. Uh, so yeah, it yeah, does seem to be uh, the case with certain malls or yeah, malls of a certain size. Yes. And once you say like you're a comic and game store, there's already that stigma. Like mm. no matter how much comics and games are coming into the mainstream and how much more they're respected among people, there's still a stigma among business that comics and game stores are not real businesses. So when you say comic and game store to a landlord, I have had landlords say they would not rent to me because of the business that I run. No matter how long I'd been in business at that point and no matter the fact that, you know, I've won an award. So it's kind of weird. I don't know. It's a strange situation. So I think possibly the reason you don't see more shops and malls is might also be because they cannot get into those spaces because of the landlords. Um, but it, it could also just be like a rent issue. Mm-hmm. But if so, sorry, go for it. So your your current landlords, um, you don't think they were apprehensive at all to have no. a no? Actually, they were really excited to have us come into the mall. They were super enthusiastic about the idea. They uh, they gave us a pretty great deal, um, and they have been amazing to us. Like they absolutely love us. We can do anything. We can run any event in the middle of the mall. It's fantastic. Like it's they really really love us. Um, 
they, you know, the pop-up store situation, they had an empty space. I talked to them in like the middle of November and they were totally on board with me opening a second location in the mall. Uh, they, they're just fantastic. They absolutely love us. So yeah, sounds like you have a really good relationship with them. It's fantastic. I could not be happier with it. So, yeah. Yeah. I really like the fact that you can use the space in the mall as well. Well, yeah. I mean, it's been a really great situation for us because we could never run events the way we do now. Um, you know, we've always run gaming events. We've always had gaming tables in the store. Uh, you know, but you're limited by your square footage with how much you can give over to table space. Because essentially that table space takes up the space of stock that could sell. And hmm. in business practice, you want to make sure that every square foot in your store is performing enough to justify having that square foot. So I made a conscious decision to give over, you know, quite a lot of square footage to not selling product. Um but it really limited what I could run. So I could never, you know, in my old space, I could never run events for more than like 16 people. And that meant that I could never really increase the community. Now that we don't have, we don't even have, we don't have any magic night. So like no Thursday night or Friday night does not involve setting up tables in front of the store. Even our Pokemon league on Wednesday. Now we're setting up tables out in front of the store because hmm. we have so many people <laughs> that we can currently fit um, like really comfortably, we can fit 16 people in the store to play, but we're constantly setting up tables out front of the store, um, for the overflow and people are, you know, crowding onto the tables a little bit more. So, uh, we can fit a lot more in. And then because we can use that mall concourse, we were able to start hosting, uh, pre-releases up to 60 people, which allowed us to get our advanced plus status. Just this last, uh, this last round of pre-releases, we, we finally got our advanced plus status, which is really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, that's a good progression. Yes. Yes. We do like running the smaller, uh, tournaments. Like most of our magic for the pre, this coming pre-release, we have one that's 60 people. And then the rest of our tournaments are 16. Um, just because we like our customers seem to prefer the shorter tournaments. Hmm. Uh, but with that 60 person tournament it gives them the opportunity to have a really big tournament. And then we throw in like certain perks, like the prizing is higher and we have raffles and we have like, you get free card sleeves, for your registration and yeah. So just to make it like a little bit sweeter. But yeah. It's good. Yeah. Nice. And I can yeah. definitely attest to uh shorter tournaments are, are nicer <laughs> yeah. for the staff as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I can imagine I, I've played in a few events where they start at midnight and for some reason there's like, oh, everyone's in the same pod. A hundred people. Let's do it. And then, oh, no. yeah, and then tournament wraps up at 8 a.m. And then the store, I'm sure, is suffering, too, because they have to keep going. Because that's midnight on Friday for a pre-release. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they got all weekend of this. Yeah, that's the one thing. We've never run a midnight release. Um, it would be – I've never actually approached them all about it. I don't know how they would – react to that I, I have a feeling it would not go over very well because they'd have to staff it with security yeah <laughs> so somehow i have a feeling that that would trickle down to me cost wise so for for the time being we do like three on three events on saturday and three on sunday and that works really well for us um yeah we, we're pretty happy with it you know we stagger them so that people can actually play uh we do like one one pod each morning and then two pods in the afternoon so people can play four times if they want to they can play in four for pre-releases nice and that works pretty well so yeah our i mean our player base we don't have a super fanatical 
player base, which is kind of strange to say because we have something like four level two judges among our player base. But (laughs) at the same time, like we, our player base is not a player base that wants to sit down and play magic for like 12 hours straight. Um, Some of them for sure, but the majority of our player base are more about like the social fun aspect. So they would more like to play in like one and then go have dinner with a bunch of the guys than stay and play in a second tournament. So we've just sort of listened to our players and taken their feedback and sort of structured things so that it meets the needs of our players as opposed to meeting the needs of uh, what is perceived to be the needs by the general magic community. Yeah, I love that. Not enough stores do that, I think. Hmm. Really listen to what their customers want. Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, we were having a little bit of problem with, you know, getting a little bit too much negative feedback about magic about our magic events. So I did a full overhaul of everything that we were doing. You know, there was a perception that prizing was inconsistent and there was other perceptions um, that were maybe grounded in some aspects of reality, but there wasn't enough knowledge as well among the customers, among the players about, you know, why we made the choices we did. So I actually sat down and met with about uh, four or five of the sort of key magic players in my community. And I talked to them about what they would like to see and how they would like things to go and, you know, where we could grow and what we needed to change going forward. And I incorporated that feedback and I I made uh, a whole bunch of changes that included, you know, the sorts of events we ran, the consistency of prizing and the consistency of the communication about that, that prizing. Um, And, you know, changed a little bit about how we ran pre-releases so that I made sure that my customers' needs were being met and that, uh, you know, that people felt comfortable and, and happy. And I've, you know, approached the magic community as a whole. Whenever we've made changes to any policies, I'll go in on a Thursday night and I will talk to everybody and I will tell them all, you know, what the changes is, changes are and why we've made them and made myself very obviously available for any feedback or any questions that anyone might have. Um, I always tell my, my players, they can ask me anything and I will tell, answer them honestly about why we do the things that we do. And, uh, and yeah, they've, uh, responded really well. It's been a huge boost to, uh, the, the community and the last couple of years, we've seen a huge increase in magic, uh, even before Concept Arc came out. (laughs) Mm. No, that's, that's great. Yeah, I think to, you know, listening to your customers and responding to what they are asking for is like the most important thing you can do. And I'm not sure that everyone does that. You know, I I think a lot of people get caught up in what they want to do and don't necessarily like follow what's happening with the customers. Like right now we are sort of shutting down our, our business with Games Workshop, um, which is really sad for me because... GW is one of the product lines I I opened the store with. Like it was something that I was really passionate about opening the store. I like learned to play the games. Like right before I opened, I went out to Edmonton and and hung out with a friend of mine who was running the the GW store out there. I hung out with him for a week. I went to the store with him every day and I learned all the games and I learned all the stuff and I I knew everything. And, uh, and it was really exciting and I, and I loved the product and I still love the product, but um, our sales have dropped so dramatically on on Warhammer like just oh. shockingly uh the books book sales have consi- have been consistent but the miniature sales have just collapsed and so I have to stop supporting it because it's just not working anymore 
It's not feasible. Why do you think, do you think, why do you think the miniature sales have dropped? You know, there's I a few reasons. Why. Yeah. Mm. What were you going to say? I meant, uh, I, I meant uh, not why do you think they have dropped? Uh, I, I'm sorry, it's, it's quite late here. Um, <laughs> I meant well, why uh, Why do you feel that, the, or um, you know the miniature sales have dropped. Why do you think that's happened? Um, there's a few reasons. For one, a lot of my regular players moved on to War Machine. You know, they saw a new product that excited them in ways that, you know, Warhammer had become a little stagnant for them. And so they got to play a new game system with the same sort of basic principles. And they really love the game. And that's great. And our War Machine sales have gone, you know, through the roof as the Warhammer sales declined. (laughs) Um, But the, the main thing is... There's no new people coming in for Warhammer. It used to be that Warhammer sold itself. And I would have families coming in at Christmas with Christmas lists of for Warhammer products. We mm-hmm. didn't see a single person come in with a list this year. Um, and oh. that's been the trend for the last few years. When GW pulled out of Canada, they took their sales office out of Canada, and then they uh, shut a bunch of their stores they stopped doing game days. They stopped doing grand tournaments. They stopped supporting the product in the way that they used to support it. There was became much less access to the product. You know, GW has always been a product that sold not by advertising, but sold by people coming across it, you know, coming across it in their shopping experience, um, hearing about it from a friend, and then having the experience of playing in uh, you know, a, one of the stores in like the Battle Bunker in Oakville or playing at or going to check out game day and seeing like the amazing painted miniatures and, you know, playing in all these neat events or going to play in a grand tournament and how much fun that was. Like there were all these ways that Games Workshop used to generate excitement about the product that would get people talking. They don't do any of them anymore. There's not the excitement anymore. And whereas GW used to be expensive and so you would, you know, have to maybe convince parents that it was a good game to buy because of reasons X, Y, and Z. Now it's like prohibitively expensive. It's become a luxury game uh, where, you know, only the people with the most uh, liquid of incomes can afford to play it. You know, there's today Games Workshop released a book that is only available online. I can't even order it from Games Workshop for my store. I have to order it online for my customers. Like, what is that? Seems like a terrible <laughs> way to do business. I am so frustrated. I love the product, and I love—I've been such a huge fan of that company for so long, and I fought for them, and I have spoken nothing but high praises of them forever. And they just have made it so hard. They've made it too hard for me to continue to support the product. So, yeah, sounds like I they're really that, trying to hurt the retail business. Yeah, I you know I think that the, that the price of the product coupled with the lack of support that they are giving the product anymore is really the reason why the sales have declined. Like, honestly, it used to be every day people would come into the store and they already knew about the product and they would come in to be look and look for miniatures. Now it's, it's a rarity that people are coming in and they're coming in for like something quite specific. Um, and I have a competitor nearby who charges way less than, the retail price for their their Warhammer, and so my customers who come in and play in my store, hmm. they go get their product elsewhere. <laughs> that is a problem with play space, isn't it? 
Yes, it is. It's not just Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's definitely tough. You know, the, the concept of pay where you play is so important. And it's, you know, it's not something that a lot of people understand um, how important it is. And right now we're seeing the effect on this particular product line. You know, if you, you come in and, and play in the store, but you don't buy the product now, you know, the product is going away. So that's, that's how it goes. So yeah, that's, yeah. Following the trends in the business is super important and like analyzing the, the merchandise to see, you know, what's growing, what's shrinking, what's, what needs to change, where you need to support your customers more. Right. So my, my war machine guys, they need more product and I'm not selling enough Warhammer to justify it. So problem solved. <laughs> yeah. And that'll also happen with, uh, with like that example is war machine and Warhammer, right? It's yeah. two miniature games that like sometimes that'll happen where one will cannibalize the other, especially yeah, the new one, the new exciting, shiny one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you know, if, if things do change down the road, then, you know, we will, uh, we'll just keep looking at, looking at the numbers and looking at the trends and listening to our customers and adapting as we go along. You can't, you cannot be stagnant in this industry. It just does not work. You have to be ready to adapt at a moment's notice. Good advice. Yeah. So when you started out, uh, were you a comic and games workshop store? Was that, was your, your initial? Yeah, we did. Um, it was comics, uh, games workshop, role playing games. We had like a ton of role playing games, like a ridiculous amount, like probably more than we had comics. <laughs> it was wow. kind of scary. Um, we did uh, magic and Pokemon, and we also did uh, anime rentals. So oh, wow. that's how we started. So we that's our logo on it is comics, games, anime, which now does not work anymore because we stopped doing anime rentals like three years ago <laughs> for the same reason they were not uh you know with the development of you know torrenting and getting everything online our anime rentals really shut down very rapidly and aggressively so we just stopped stopped carrying them um so yeah that was the basic the basic model you know i do think it's important to be diverse when you have a store like this because while you can count on Certain people, like I can count on my subscribers coming in. Well, I can count on most of my subscribers coming in on a regular basis to pick up their comics. And so I know that, you know, the bills are going to get paid that way. There's other product lines that will have their season, right? So we even see, you know, we, even with Magic, which is a perpetual seller, it has seasons uh, where it is selling really well and then seasons where it's slumpy. So right now it's pretty slumpy because there's a new set coming out. And when the new set comes out, it'll boom again. But right before a new set, there's always a decrease in magic sales because people are waiting for the new cards and they're just not mm. as excited about the old set. So there's always going to be like weaknesses and drops in other sections of the industry. So you, you need the rest of the store to, to cover those spots where things are a little less lucrative in one area or another. So, you know, in February, Mad, uh, Wizards of the Coast used to release a new release every February. Now, for some reason, it's the middle of January. I'm not sure how, how or why that changed, but it used to be in February. And man, was that great because February is like one of the worst months in retail. Hmm. Uh, it's cold. People are getting their, their bills from Christmas. They don't want to spend any extra money. So you kind of just have like your subscribers and they're only wanted to, to do like the most 
you know, bare bones subscription. They are not getting anything extra off the shelves. And then you have this great magic release that all of a sudden pays a whole bunch of bills because it brings all these customers into your store. So that used to be like a fantastic cover for the February Blahs. Um, we actually don't see the February Blahs anymore, not for the last couple of years, which I think for me is like kind of the greatest testament to the success of the business, that we don't really have a month anymore that we can point to and say that's our bad month. Oh. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. So sales kind of evened out a bit. Some places will pick up for, for sure. the ones that are going down. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I think we have a really nice balance of products. Part of that I think was bringing on board games and the success that board games have been having over the last few years. Board games is probably our most recent addition to the store. I think I only started doing board games maybe four years ago. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it's been huge. I always sold a couple of them. Like I always sold Settlers of Catan. Because, you know, who doesn't sell Settlers of Catan? <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, then I really got into it and it became now now it's a cornerstone of the business. Um, so now we are, you know, we have a whole section dedicated to board games uh, that wasn't there four years ago because people just kept asking for more and more games. And so as people ask for games, then they become regularly stocked games. And and there you go. We have a whole section now. <laughs> Well, speaking of, uh, so it seems like you, you try really hard to listen to your customers and they definitely respond well. Um, what, what's your, uh, what's your strategy for reaching and bringing in new customers not just, uh, not just keeping the ones you already have? So a couple of strategies that I use, um, well, basically all of my strategies for that involve outreach. So, Instead of, because advertising in the comic industry doesn't really work very well. Um, (laughs) We do like newspaper advertising around Christmas because we get a really great deal uh, through the downtown Guelph board. Uh, And that's the time too that parents are looking for gift ideas. And so we do like product placement type ads where we just showcase product and then people see that we've got product X, Y, and Z and they come in and, and looking for that thing. But otherwise, we sort of rely mostly on word-of-mouth advertising. So what we do is we do sponsorships and we do donations. So uh, say a school is having an auction night or whatever, we'll donate product to that auction night. And then it gets our name out there and people find out about us that way. We sponsored a girls' minor soccer team. And they actually, their jerseys have the store logo on it, which is really cool. Um, and we do um, we do a thing with the Guelph Storm, which is the OHL team here, uh, where every other home game, there's a hero of the game, and they get a prize pack from the Dragon. Uh, so we do our, we basically do it like that, where our advertising is through, um, you know, being at it's basically through giving away product. (laughs) We also, every kid who comes into the store gets to leave with a comic. They get a free comic when they come into the store. And I'm certain that that gets around to other people (laughs) that, uh, that you can go to the dragon and get a free comic. Um, and I also go to schools and do, um, workshops and book fairs. Uh, so, you know, every workshop, every workshop that I do in a school, I'm basically getting the attention of the entire school population and all their parents. So, uh, you know, that sort of communication with the, with the public 
is the way that works best for the comic industry. So I'm basically tapping into that word of mouth advertising is the best thing to do and finding ways to expand the word of mouth advertising by being in places, by donating to things, by having people thank us, by setting us up as a respectable part of the community as opposed to this strange store that people don't know what we sell. <laughs> you, you know, we, uh, we never got a chance to ask you, uh, where did you get the name The Dragon from? Well, um, I've always been a big fan of the fantasy genre. So obviously dragons are always a huge part of the fantasy genre. And like, for whatever reason, I love dragons. They're awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit that. Uh, when I decided to open the store, I knew I wanted Dragon to be part of it. And I actually started by opening it as, I started as registering as Dragon Slayer. But then talking to a couple of colleagues, I found out that Dragon Slayer was actually the name of a store that wasn't very reputable. Like there had been another Dragon Slayer that people didn't respect very much. So I was like, okay, well, that's no good. But I still want to be like, you know, dragon something so i thought why not just make it the dragon we'll be like the dragon the place to go you know enough of the other stores called dragon this is the dragon dragon you know it evokes certain parts of the industry it it uh references the fantasy elements of the industry so like the fact that comics are are you know grounded in a fantasy a fantastical setting to a certain extent um the dungeons and dragons obviously um there's dragons like all throughout all the stuff that I sell. So there's dragons in magic, there's dragons in, in Warhammer, there's dragons in everything. And it's also an extremely easy thing to say. I'm going down to the dragon. It's easy to remember. It's easy to communicate. And that is something that you really, really need. I think in a name, when you're doing word of mouth advertising, when your bread and butter is word of mouth advertising, you need your name to be easy to remember associated with what you do and easy to communicate. So never would there be a confusion of, I'm going down to that place, oh, what's its name? I can't remember that comic store, you know, or or heaven forbid those stores who call themselves like comic shop. <laughs> I'm going down to the comic shop. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, that's too generic. <laughs> so even though it's easy to remember, it's too generic. So yeah, so that's basically it. It was a name that allowed the word of mouth advertising to work effectively for me. Good part of the strategy. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, it's been a while. You, you've been open for a long time at this point, but if you had to start over, like if you really wanted a store now, like you were in a different situation, obviously, but you wanted to do a comic shop today, would you do things oh. differently? Well... I mean, it's really hard because it has been a really long time, right? So, mm-hmm. obviously, there's like, I would definitely do things differently than I did back then. But, you know, I did things the way I did them. And it's hard for me to look back and, and say, you know, change X, Y, and Z. Because everything that I did brought me to this place. And I'm and I'm, I'm very happy with where I am now. Um, I think probably if I were to... Let's say I had like a, a, a ton of money right now that I could invest in the business, mm-hmm. which would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main thing that I would do is uh, customize shelving. The, you know, the shelving we use is great and I, it's all, it's like 90% Ikea shelving mm-hmm. uh, and it works for what we do. But at the same time, I would love to have shelving that 
more effectively displayed, especially the comics. Um, you know, what we have looks great and it looks professional and it, it's, it's fine, but <laughs> there's, there's cer- a certain, there's something to be said for like wood shelving. That's like wood colored shelving, uh, in the waterfall tiers. I would love to have shelving like that. That wouldn't cost me an arm and a leg. Uh, so yeah, if I were to do something again, it would be to customize my shelving to my product a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, you know, when I opened, I went way too big. I started in a space that was too big for me. I got fixated on an idea of an opening date. And so instead of waiting for the right space to come, I forced myself into a space that was far too big for what I needed. And it was only a couple of months before I had to, I, before I told my landlord, I had to get out of my lease. And he allowed me to get out of it as soon as he could find someone to rent it. So I ended up being there for a year and he was very, very generous on my payment terms of my rent, which was fantastic because like the first February I was open, I made like a few hundred dollars more than my rent. That was it. (laughs) It was really bad. (laughs) It was horrible. Yeah. That could have been a rough Um, time. Oh yeah. So, you know, I definitely think that, I should have had more capital to keep me floating for more months. Um, I went too aggressive on my comic ordering when I first opened. I went too aggressive on all my ordering. I had just too much product. Like if I started smaller and had a smaller space with a more focused selection of product and then listened and followed the trends and increased as I went along, that would have been a more, that would have been a safer way to go um, as opposed to, going big and then having a lot of debt <laughs> to repay down the road <laughs> because I had to extend my line of credit and I had to do these things. Um, and, and because I used up like all of my initial loan, I used it up like before I opened the store. And so then I had to extend my line of credit in order to get the money to keep me afloat during those really, really dark months. So mm. yeah. So um, lean startup. Yeah. Yeah. A lean startup for sure. And being more conservative with the startup. Um, yeah, that's what I would suggest or just having more money to start with. <laughs> so, I mean, if you were to start a comic store now in this day and age, I mean, you have to, first of all, find a fantastic place to open it that like needs a store that has a good environment for, um, an open-minded, an open-minded culture that is ready to welcome in a comic and game store. But you also need to make it professional. You need to make it like another store, not like another comic store. You need to make it like a store that could be put in any mall or any strip mall or any downtown area. It needs to look fantastic. It needs to look like a shopping experience that anyone could expect. So it needs to look a little like to a certain extent as professional and organized as, say, walking into the Gap. Not that it should look like generic like the Gap, but... It needs to be like professional and well-organized like The Gap. Mm-hmm. It needs to be bright and clean and welcoming of people. Um, and it also has to have something that sets it apart so that if you're going into a city that has an already established store, you have something that people want, something that people come to you for. So whether it's offering another product line or, in my case, just offering a clean and bright and organized experience, um, which was different from the comic store that was in town when I opened. Uh, you know, it's, you have to have that 
that unique look and you have to be willing to that unique look and unique vibe and you have to be willing to invest into creating that space that follows your goals for the business. So it has to be all about those goals. Like if my goal is to provide excellent service and product for everyone, then that's my goal. And I have to make sure that everyone is served by the store. So it was always my concern to make sure that families felt extremely comfortable coming into the store, especially little kids and that women felt extremely comfortable coming into the store. Um, and also people of various sexual orientation and of various gender. Like I am so proud of the fact that I have multiple transgendered people in my magic community. That is like the greatest thing because it's not the norm. And it makes me so happy that, you know, I have that all the work that I put in focused on this goal of the store being for everyone. It actually has worked and succeeded and is, it is a place that everyone feels comfortable. And I think I got a little off track of the question there, but <laughs> no, that, that was good. I like that. That's yeah. That's good to hear that. Uh, I was just—it's good to hear that the magic that um, you're allowing the magic community to be a little bit more open. Sometimes it can feel a little stifling. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, are very um, aware of that. I mean, it's. I'm very aware of it coming from the point of view at, that I'm, you know, a comic fan who's a woman, right? Like, it's not necessarily that normal. And and a gamer. Like, when I went to my first grand tournament, they took pictures <laughs> of me for White Dwarf. I was in White Dwarf because I was oh. in the grand tournament. So they used me as advertising for the next grand tournament. It was really weird. So, yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre to be... To be a woman in the industry and to have people, you know, I worked in a comic store before I, I opened mine and to have people come in and just assume that I didn't know anything or for me to go into other stores and have them assume that I was there clearly to buy for somebody else who must be a male in my life, like in my brother or my boyfriend or whatever. You know, it just it's really annoying. <laughs> it got really tiresome. And so I know from, you know, from that side of things that you know, it can, it feels horrible to walk into a store wanting to buy something and to be outright ignored or to be belittled in some way, to have your interests invalidated because of who you are. It's not okay. So I really wanted to make sure that that never happened in my store for anyone. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah judging from uh, the way you've described your business, I can see why you've done so well. Like you can tell why your customers like you so much. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. So uh, you've already mentioned that you're expanding a little bit. Uh, is there anything else coming up in the near future for the Dragon? Um, that's sort of the main thing that we're looking at uh, right now. It's uh, it's not too far away. Uh, it's a little alarming, and uh, I'm really excited because it means that we're gonna get to I'm gonna get to do some things that I've been wanting to do for a while, like. Magic has become a huge part of the business in the last few years, and I want to give it more space in the store. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things that we're looking at doing is um, having a whole counter area that is dedicated to magic. So it's going to be all like the singles out on display and everything, and it's just going to be fantastic. I'm really excited about that part. Um, and just also allowing us to have more room for 
uh, t-shirts. Like we carry a lot of t-shirts, but we can only put out like one per style. And mm. then we have to go digging through the back room to find the, the sizes. But there's a lot of people who come in who think that we don't actually, that we only have one shirt of each style. Um, and so they don't, you know, even though we try to approach everyone and say like, we've got more sizes, they don't necessarily, uh, we don't necessarily catch everyone and they, they don't necessarily know that. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited about that. And just in general, you know, moving forward with the business and there's a couple of areas of growth. Um, one is in, in tournament play, like I'm adding more tournaments to the schedule. I'm doing, uh, X-Wing and Netrunner. Uh, which are new for the schedule. I'm part of the uh, the War Machine Store Wars circuit, so we're doing that as well. Um, and uh, what else am I adding? I'm going to be doing a little bit more work with uh, schools and libraries over the next few months and providing more support for libraries that are looking to expand their graphic novel selections. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what the future holds. Just continuing to look at the trends and follow things and you know, adapt as we go along to what my customers are looking for. Great. It's exciting stuff. I've, yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm genuinely uh, curious, Jen. Is mm-hmm. uh, the, new, uh, the new expansion total, is it more or less than the size of your first store that you said was too big? Um, it will be about the same size. <laughs> wow. we're done. exciting? You 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 return home the conqueror. Yeah, I'm ready now. You know, there's definitely days where I'm like, I wish, I wish that I had that store that I had 16 years ago (laughs) because I need that space. So, and I and I think back too about that space, and it was so huge, and it had like nothing in it. (laughs) I have no idea. Like it must have just looked ridiculous to people coming in. Um, because it had nothing in it compared to what the amount of stock that I have now, I just, I can't, it blows my mind. (laughs) It blows my mind. Like, yeah, it was crazy. I could fill that space. I'm like, as soon as we get the expansion, I'm going to fill it. (laughs) You know, I managed for the Christmas season. I had my regular 1500 square foot store and then I opened an additional 800 square feet down the hall. So I know I can fill another 500 square feet with no problem at all. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Okay. Well, it's, uh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. If, uh, ever get a chance, I will definitely come visit in Guelph. Uh, I'm in Kitchener, so it's not too far away. Yes. Yes. Well, we do have our preliminary PTQ this Sunday, so. (laughs) Ooh, exciting. One of the first, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's cool to be running that. I'm, I'm really really excited about it so yeah great well uh, thank you very much for coming on the show i think it's been great yeah i would uh yeah i'd love to check in later on perhaps and see how things are going once you've uh opened your expansion and excellent get going again and uh we'll talk to you soon all right sounds good thanks guys thank you very much bye have Have a good day you too bye-bye all right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jennifer Haynes and the co-host Clinton Hendry. If you're looking for more info about game store entrepreneurship and the magic community, check out ManiverseSaga.com. It's home of the Maniverse podcast, and that's where we talk about tips and tactics you can use to grow your local community and your business. From there, you can find out more about Maniverse.com, and you can sign up to get early access as a beta tester. 
We're currently looking for game store owners and magic players to help work out the kinks and give us some honest feedback. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Maniverse podcast on iTunes and leave a review. Sharing this episode is also a great way to help the show. Every reviewer will get a shout-out on an upcoming episode. And as always, thanks for listening.